Welcome to Podland, the last word in podcasting news. It's the 9th of December 2021. I'm James Cridland, the editor of podnews.net. And I'm Sam Sethi, here in the UK, the MD of River Radio. And I'm Jeff Price, the CEO of Word Collections. And I'll be on later to talk about spoken word copyright. He will. Podland is sponsored by Buzzsprout, used by over 106,000 active shows to host, promote and track your podcast. They support chapters, so this podcast does as well. There's a chapter for each story. Podland is a weekly podcast where James and I delve deeper into the week's podcasting news. And what a week, James, this is. It's been fun, hasn't it? Well, where do we start? It's been so much fun that clearly either I've been shouting an awful lot or or something else has happened, but I appear to be losing my voice. So (sighs) who knows what will happen by the end of this? Oh. Oh dear, he's not coming to London next. Um, Right, the big news this week is the infinite dial. At the end of last show, you hinted that it might be coming out into the UK. I think it was 2pm last Thursday. Indeed. Uh, So it was after we recorded. It came out and I guess the headline was 41% of the UK population, that's 16 plus, listens to podcasts every month. That's around 23 million people. That's pretty good, James, isn't it? Yeah, that is pretty good. And it's the same number as in the US as well, if you look at 16 plus people, uh, which is really good. The weekly figure, though, is a little bit lower. It's 25% versus the US is 29%. But for me, that's about right in terms of gut feel. Radio, though, was interesting um, with your radio hat on, Mr. Sethi. Weekly listening in the UK is higher than any of the other infinite dial countries of US Canada and Australia. Uh, I suspect it's the BBC thing and the DAB thing and the fact that there are so many interesting little radio stations, particularly like yours, um, which are keeping people having a listen. The other piece of data which I love, 22% of people in the UK say they don't own a radio. Whenever I've asked anybody in in customer research, do you own a radio? Often the answer is no, but do you own a smart speaker? The answer is yes. And that's where I think people, it depends how the question was posed, and I wonder how that was posed. Actually, there is data in there around smart speakers and stuff like that, but why don't we ask Larry Rosen, uh, who is the CEO of Edison Research. We have an interview with him next week. Brilliant. Now, uh, one of the people who uh, was also one of the sponsors of this uh, Infinite Dial was James Cater. He's the Spotify UK and Ireland head of studios. He said the first Infinite Dial report for the UK is a clear demonstration that consumer habits when it comes to audio consumption have changed rapidly and are continuing to do so. I think it was great that Spotify actually supported this along with Bauer. So... Uh, thank you to both of you. Yeah, no, I think it was a very, a really good thing. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with the Rajar data that we also get or that you also get in the UK. And the Rajar data is great. It was One of the interesting things about Rajar in the UK is that um, they monitor both podcast listening and listen again listening. Listen again is access to a radio show on demand, which, as you'll know, is different in terms of rights because um, you have a different rights management uh, thing there, but it's indistinguishable from a podcast for the consumer. Um, So Rajar does collect and report those things as different things, listen again, and podcasts. Um, And I, you know, you would presume that that leads to some form of confusion there, because I can listen to The Archers as a piece of listen again radio, but I can also listen to it as a podcast. Um, And I uh, used to work at um, Pure, the internet radio company, and I wanted to merge listen again and podcasting on their 
devices because I argued it made no sense to anybody. Um, but it ended up being wildly too difficult to do. So, um, you know, Rajar's good, but um, getting some comparable data from Edison Research is all the better. Well, we at River Radio do combine them for sponsors so so that they understand the difference between our live listener audience and our on-demand audience. And talking about Edison Research, they're actually revealing some other research um, coming up. Let me uh, work out exactly when it is. It's next Wednesday. Two o'clock Eastern time, they're releasing something called the Super Listeners Study in the US. Uh, it's with Ad Results Media and Edison Research and iHeart Media, and they're releasing um, those findings there. Um, I may have a chat with Marshall Williams, who's CEO at Ad Results Media, around those numbers next week as well. Brilliant. Now, uh, you've done a little bit of digging, James, this week and come up with an exclusive report (laughs) on Pod News. Um, Now, what's that exclusive report you hear me say? Well, it's Spotify has made a number of exciting press releases about new podcast partnerships, certainly over the last two years. But oddly, many of those podcasts have never seen the light of day. Where are they, James? And tell me, what's going on? (laughs) Where are they? That's the question that I would like to know. So you had Meghan and Harry, for example. They signed in December 2020. They've done one 35-minute show. Just that. And we were promised a series and, uh, well, a number of different series um, during 2021, but we haven't seen them. Um, Kim Kardashian-West... Um, announced a Spotify podcast podcast in June 2020. Uh, we still haven't seen that one. Uh, there's one from Ava Duvernay. I've probably pronounced that entirely wrong. No idea. But anyway, um, Leap Files was announced in February. Hasn't been released yet. Where is it? Who knows? Warner Brothers, DC Entertainment, Churnin Entertainment, uh, the Russo Brothers and Agbo, A-G-B-O, and also Mark and Jay Duplass and various other people have all made all of these wonderful announcements and we haven't seen a single thing from them and it's just sort of you know i i'm i'm just sort of wondering whether there's something a little bit dubious going on here hmm. now maybe megan and harry were busy with opera i mean come on they've, they've had a busy year that's at least one that you could give a, a little bit of leeway to but yeah i agree where are the other ones yeah but, but i mean their their announcement for example just their announcement contributed to a 1.9 percent rise in spotify's stock value which is worth 836 million dollars just that one and I, I just sort of wonder, um, I calculated that I get 37 emails a month from Spotify's PR agencies, and they use one, two, three, four, five, six different PR agencies. Um, so no wonder that Spotify is the most reported company on Pod News because I, I get so many stories from them. But I replied to all of their PR agencies and I said, you know, thanks so much for sending this through in February of last year, just wondering where the podcasts are. And I got absolutely no response. Um, absolutely no response, which is strange. And I'm ju- just wondering whether whether it's a strategy which is essentially a strategy on bringing up Spotify's stock market value by making these announcements. Um, they are clearly, you know, uh, proper pucker announcements that they are getting together with all of these um, uh, celebrities and and uh, content creators. Um, and so there's probably nothing wrong with that. But where's the actual content at the end of it? Well, 
bit like a magician. Now you see them, now you don't. <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah. Now, uh, in Australia, I wanted to pick up mm. on one other trend that you'd written about this week. Um, podcasts from Network 10, something I don't know about really, uh, will be exclusive on SCA's listener app from 2022. And the reason why I wanted to ask was it said at the end, uh, they will no longer be available on other platforms. Now, Obviously, we've just talked about Spotify announcing loads of exclusives to try and fundamentally, it looks like, increase the share price. Mm. Um, Is a trend for 2022 going to be where companies do try and pull back companies from being on multiple platforms just to one in order to drive traffic to themselves? A bit like the Disney and Prime and Netflix, you know, they all have their own big hit shows. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that we'll see a trend of that sort of thing. We've seen a trend of exclusives, of course, on Spotify during uh, this year, and I'm sure that we'll see a continuing trend on that next year. It's a really weird thing, though, this. So Network 10 is one of the big um, commercial TV networks here. It's owned by Viacom CBS, so the big uh, American broadcaster. Um, It's available pretty well everywhere in uh, Australia. There's some weird and wonderful ways that it gets to people outside of the capital cities, but we probably needn't go into that. And what they've done is they've done this deal with um, Southern Cross Osterio's Listener app, which is an app which was launched in February, and as far as I can work out, has had 50,000 downloads, and that's all. So why you would want to take the podcasts that you're making as a successful TV channel, it's a TV channel aimed at younger audiences, why you would want to take that and put that onto a platform which only has 50,000 potential users, I really don't know. What SCA has been very clever at doing is releasing a ton of data around their their listener podcasts, but their listener podcasts, of course, are available everywhere. Um, so I'm fascinated to work out. I did check with SCA. Uh, uh, are these really going to be taken off Apple Podcasts? Because that's what the press release says. SCA never came back to me. Um, but I found that I found that really interesting. Yeah. So um, who knows what's going on there? But um, the benefit, of course, that SCA will have on this is that they will get Network 10, the TV channel, uh, and it's got quite a few different uh, TV channels here, uh, promoting the listener app um, all the way through their TV shows. So at least that's going to be a benefit to them, I guess. Hmm. Now, did they... Do you think they understand RSS? Do you think they understand the open nature of RSS? I, I know that SEA um, uh, don't because I got a I got a takedown notice from them last year saying you're 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 listing our podcast and you have no right to, to list our podcast and I mailed them back and I said um, I'm using the RSS feed as it's meant to be used to link to your content and there's nothing wrong with linking to your content what would you like me to do and i heard nothing more so i'm i'm pretty sure that they don't understand it but they're not the only one yeah you got your first dmca takedown notice congratulations that's a badge of honor <laughs> yes i love dmca takedown notices um, and uh, Pod News is actually owned by a company in the US, so I do have to um, uh, I do have to look at them and uh, at least uh, at least consider how they're supposed to work. But um, my my uh, my answer to the uh, person that sent me a DMCA um, uh, thing <laughs> was basically, 
I'm using the RSS feed in the way that you have published it. So if you don't want to be listed in public, then you should mark your podcast as not available in the Apple podcast system, change the RSS feed to one which isn't uh, spiderable, and that's the way of doing it. Don't go, um, don't go chasing after me, thank you very much. Um, and of course, the other sort of side of it is that... Um, a DMCA uh, request to me is a request to a journalist um, and I'm under absolutely no obligation to agree to any confidentiality around a DMCA uh, request. So therefore, frankly, um, I think it's a good story. Um, they haven't come back to me because they're probably a little bit scared of that <laughs> and the podcast is still there. And to be, and to be very clear... I link to one piece of audio. It's the latest um, show, so you can't listen to any other shows on my on, on my website anyway. And it's just a link back to their their podcast host. So I'm 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 doing exactly as uh, as anybody would do in terms of using an RSS feed. You're not going to name them then. Well, I'm not going to name them because they never came back uh, afterwards, and I think they've uh, they've run away. I mean, obviously, if they come back to me and they start playing hardball, then <laughs> then I'll I'll name them. But um, I haven't heard of them, so um, I'm not sure. I, I I think what is going on is they found a nice looking DMCA um, form somewhere on the internet, and they decided to send it to me. Um, without fully understanding what it is that they were actually doing, which, by the way, is um, is an illegal act in the US anyway. Maybe you should send them a link to Wooshka's new play portal, which is about making the experience of private podcasting easier. Wishka just launched that. Yes, they did. Yeah, they've they've launched um, an interesting, you know, tool. Um, from what I understand, it's basically a single sign-on tool for any any private podcast, which is accessed through Wushka. So, yeah, if you don't want a public podcast, it's really simple. Don't have a public podcast, um, but don't get concerned and confused when somebody links to your open content on the internet because it's open content and you have deliberately published an, an rss feed of which the s stands for syndication <laughs> it's, it's just like what are you doing so uh yeah bless them would uh, a license tag i know there's one and we've talked about this in the past there's a license tag within the podcast index namespace would the license tag have helped them? Maybe they're confused. I, we've got an RSS feed, but James, you can link to it, but don't copy anything. Don't use it. Don't change anything. Would a license tag with an attribution, and I've asked for this before, uh, would that maybe have helped them? Um, it wouldn't, because actually, at the end of the day, all podcasts work in this way. So all podcasts are pretty simple and straightforward. And the RSS feed is there as a very small amount of data to point to the audio. We've had conversations about any any copyright license tag in the past from the new podcast namespace, and I've been pretty negative about it because I don't think it, it actually helps anyone. So, um, and again, on, on this, uh, you know, I mean, what, what, what you could do, um, the BBC, for example, tries to put in their RSS feeds use for per, uh, for personal use only, um, but uh, but that's not that's not how RSS feeds work in the podcast space. And just writing that in an RSS feed in the in the copyright um, uh, section isn't something that is programmatically checkable anyway. Um, 
so yeah i uh, you know i i'm not sure that that really helps if you want to keep a uh, if you want to keep your podcast private to you then put it in your own app um, or make it a private podcast through whether it's Wushka or Supercast or any of these other uh, tools, Acast Plus and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, and I should say Memberful, because they're sponsoring the Pod News podcast at the moment, um, who are very excellent at uh, building re- reliable recurring revenue from your podcast. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, use any of those, but, uh, you know, don't necessarily, um, uh, just, uh, get your legal team to send DMCA, uh, uh, links around for somebody that's just linking to your content. You know, I think that that's absolutely fine. Okay. Well, uh, somebody has got themselves into hot water, a, i.e. Spotify, um, as we move on <laughs> again again <laughs> I, we we did praise them in the first story we got the praise out early james that was the key thing now <laughs> sky news here in the uk has been investigating spotify and it's discovered anti-semitic and racist and su- white supremacist material in podcasts on spotify and i'm sure spotify are the only ones hosting this content spotify has removed 150 hours of content after the news channel's report it said in some cases explicit slurs could be found in episode titles and descriptions while album artwork displayed imagery adopted by white supremacists the story says the podcasts are still available on google podcasts now i have long said that no one is checking content within podcasts here's a great example james but it's like doing it after closing the uh, stable door after the horse has bolted what Let's just take a quick break. Welcome to High Street Matters, a regular podcast from Byra, the British Independent Retailers Association. My name's Steve Dyson, and I'm a journalist who's interviewing top business owners and experts here at Byra about issues which impact independent retailers today. We'll be talking to a cross-section of our members from around the UK, from single retail outlets to small chains, and from large department stores to leisure and hospitality. We plan to provide top tips to help businesses stay ahead of the retail curve. High Street Matters. Thanks for listening. Do you think? Yeah, I think in these particular cases, uh, it's one thing talking about audio and checking the audio and everything else. It's another thing to basically have explicit slurs in episode descriptions and titles, which are at least searchable. So if Spotify wants to pull that kind of stuff off, they're a private company, um, then Spotify should pull that um, stuff off. Um, uh, It's up to, again, it's up to Google Podcasts whether or not they want to pull that content off. Um, uh, It's not the sort of content that I would particularly like, but still, there we are. It's, It's content which is sort of out there. And, you know, surely it should be relatively easy and simple for Spotify to understand that these um, that these uh, this language was being used in titles and descriptions as well. I go back to my questions. I keep asking the same question, I guess, and I never get an answer. So (laughs) who, who is at fault? Because clearly this content is hosted somewhere now. It might be on Anchor, but this content may be on one of the other hosting partners. Should they have 
checked and stopped that content being put up, should Spotify not have pulled it from RSS? You just said, you know, you, you're using RSS as syndication just to pull content and linking to the audio. So is all the Spotify, Google, even Apple just linking? Is that their defence? Um, who's at fault, James? Well, who is at fault? Um, before I answer that question, let me uh, apologise for my uh, phone that was going ting, ting, ting a few minutes ago. The reason why it was doing that is that um, there is a storm which is going ahead, um, which is going overhead at the moment, and uh, the council sends these um, scary uh, uh, text messages out saying there's a big storm, uh, take cover uh, and everything else. So uh, if all of a sudden you hear the sound of uh, the gentle pitter-patter of rain. By gentle pitter-patter, I'm being sarcastic, the torrent of rain that we're about to get, um, then uh, you will know what that noise is. Yeah, so who is responsible for it? I think, to be honest, I think it's six of one and half a dozen of the other here. I think that both a podcast host um, should at least make a decision as to whether or not it wants to be known as the podcast host, which is hosting this sort of stuff. And also, um, it's up to a podcast directory to uh, as to whether or not they want to be hosting this sort of stuff or linking to this sort of stuff. Um, so, um, you know, if Apple feel that this is the wrong content for them, Spotify feel it's the wrong content for them, then they should take it off. But also, you know, I mean, arguably it shouldn't be there in the first place on the, uh, on any decent podcast host. And I think really, um, Sky News chasing Spotify isn't necessarily the right uh, the right answer here. Sky News really ought to be chasing who's hosting it. To come back to the conversation about you know DMCA, Sky News really should be going to the podcast hosts and saying why are you helping these podcasts get onto all of these platforms, which is actually what they are doing. And I would say that they probably don't even know because they're not listening or checking. I'm sure that they don't know, um, but I also wonder whether or not it's clear enough um, to, you know, people like Sky News or, or whoever, where the audio actually is in the first place. Um, and, um, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it does come back to, you know, it, it, it's the podcast hosts who, who are hosting this kind of stuff and the podcast hosts should make that choice. And there will be podcast hosts out there that are quite happy in hosting all of this and they claim um, freedom of uh, speech, American freedom versus the European freedom. Uh, and, that, and that's, you know, and that's up to them. And then we can have long conversations about why that particular podcast host is hosting this particular content. Um, but, you know, I, th I think it's one of those... It's one of those difficult conversations because actually at the end of it, um, you know, people should be checking this, but also it should be more obvious as to where this stuff is being uh, hosted um, uh, by and what this sort of uh, stuff, you know, what, what, what we should be doing about this sort of uh, stuff. It can't be that difficult to transcribe it and check for keywords. Can't be that difficult. Not in this day and age. No, it can't. It, it, it can't. But on the other hand, you end up with an issue um, where you get stuff taken off um, uh, incorrectly. So YouTube, for example, 
Um, there was a story in Pod News this week where YouTube video creators, just in the first half of this year, had 729 million copyright claims. Now, I know we're talking about copyright here, but 729 million copyright claims. Now, 2.2 million of those were mistaken, that were overturned on appeal by the creator. Now, that's less than 1%, but it's still 2.2 million. And we don't know how many of those automated claims the creators didn't bother trying to appeal or didn't know how to appeal. Doing things automatically is also not necessarily the answer either. So I'm not sure that there's an easy, you know, an easy answer here. Well, Spotify still haven't updated the UI to make it easier to report this type of content. So there's a number of things that still haven't happened. And as I've said long and hard, It'll take a big court case eventually and the industry will change, but it looks like Sky's bringing it to the attention of the general public. And of course they had to yes. use Spotify because saying one of the hosts like LibSync, Buzzsprout, Captivate or others probably wouldn't get the uh, attention of the audience. Yeah, and it's less fun to go after, uh, to go uh, and kick those, uh, and more fun to kick uh, Spotify. Um, you know, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, I mean, both Sky News are doing that, but also Media Matters, which is a media monitoring team in the US. It um, uh, it, um, it seems to be uh, a politically motivated one, which makes it, in my eyes, a little bit less interesting. But nevertheless, they had a guy called Alex Patterson, who listened to more than 350 hours of the Joe Rogan experience. What a lucky man. And uh, he has posted, <laughs> he has posted um, what he calls some of the worst examples of Rogan's sexist, racist and harmful commentary over the past year, all paid for by Spotify. Um, you know, uh, yes, all paid for by Spotify, but all said by Joe Rogan. Um, which is uh, just as important as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot of this um, of of this uh, attention being drawn on the content which is available in podcasts, and perhaps that is actually showing that podcasts are getting more and more mainstream. Yeah, well, as we'll learn shortly, there are two licenses here, James. You said it, Joe Rogan's words, and also Spotify's recording. So Spotify can't wash their hands of this one. They can't just simply say it was Joe Rogan, not us, Gov. Indeed. Well, let's let's dive into that because um, Spotify pulled a number of comedy albums from its service, as have other people this week, because they weren't licensed correctly, apparently. There's a man called Jeff Price who owns a company called Word Collections. He's just announced a $3.5 million investment round. He says the company focuses on getting comedians and other spoken word performers paid for the use of their works for the first time. It's not paid in terms of the record label, but it is paid in terms of the use of their works for the first time. One of those albums that was pulled was actually an album of Joe Rogan doing a stand-up act. Uh, you chatted with Jeff didn't you? I did and wonderful chap that he is he's been involved in the music industry and copyright for many many years now he's moved into checking fundamentally word uh, or spoken word copyright and I asked him what all the kerfuffle is with Spotify and taking down all these comedy albums well Spotify recently removed a large number of comedy spoken word albums from its service and from what I've read, it's been because they were not properly licensed for all the copyrights in these albums. 
And I don't know anything more than what I've read, but it's an interesting situation, which I agree with, which is Spotify to stream something on its service needs two separate licenses and has to make two separate payments. And the best way to understand this is think about a recording by Whitney Houston, if you remember Whitney. She did a recording of a song called I Will Always Love You. So Arista Records hired Whitney Houston to sing that, and the recording is owned by the record label, Arista Records. But there is a second separate copyright because Dolly Parton wrote the lyric and the melody. So those are your two separate copyrights, one for the recording and a second separate one for Dolly Parton for the lyric and melody. Now, Spotify is required under the law to get two separate licenses, one from Arista Records and a second separate one from Dolly Parton for music. That exact same concept applies to spoken word comedy. For example, George Carlin wrote a very famous routine called Seven Words You Can Never Say on Television. And in 1972, he did a deal with Atlantic Records, a record label, where they recorded George Carlin. The recordings are owned by Atlantic Records. However, George Carlin wrote the words that were recorded. So those are your two separate copyrights, one for the recording and a second separate one for the words that George Carlin wrote. Now, what's interesting is when it's music, the lyric and melody that Dolly Parton wrote, we call that a musical composition. And there are mechanisms in place around the world to deal with the licensing and collection of the money and the payment of the money to the Dolly Partons of the world. However, the spoken words by George Carlin, since they're not music, they're not called musical compositions. They're called literary works, just another terminology created by the law. But because they're not music, the mechanisms and the royalty rates are different than music. And it's what everyone forgot to deal with. No one put forth the infrastructure or the mechanism to efficiently deal with the licensing and payment of royalties for those spoken word authors, those literary works. And, you know, this extends beyond comedy. This is comedy, spoken word. This is Amanda Gorman, a Nobel poet. This is Eric Bargosian, uh, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali. Anything that is spoken is a literary work to some degree. So what's occurred, from what I can tell, and I concur with through my own experiences at Word Collections is the Spotify's of the world. And it's not limited to just Spotify didn't get that second license. They didn't get that license to the underlying literary works, the words that were recorded. And as such, every time that album streams on Spotify, the record label is getting paid, but the author of the words that got recorded is not getting paid. The same is most likely not true for a Dolly Parton. Right When that sound recording of I Will Always Love You streams, Arista Records is getting paid by Spotify. Theoretically, Dolly Parton's getting paid by Spotify. Now, when George Carlin's work gets streamed on Spotify, the record label Atlantic Records is getting paid. But George Carlin, who in this case is like Dolly Parton, is not because his works were not licensed. And that's copyright infringement. So the end result of this is there's upwards of one trillion, and that's with a T, one trillion streams of these recordings around the globe in the past eight to 10 years on Apple Music, on Spotify, on Amazon, on Deezer, on YouTube Music, on YouTube, broadcast on radio, digital radio like Sirius XM and Pandora or AM and FM radio. And unlike music, where they dealt with getting the licenses, they just didn't bother and they didn't make the payments. And there's easily over $1 billion that has been generated in these royalties if things were licensed and never got paid. 
So why were these albums then taken down? That's the question. Because when an entity uses a copyright without a license, without permission, it's called infringement. And when a copyright is infringed upon, there is a legal remedy in the United States where you could sue the entity that stole your copyright without permission for something called statutory damages. And that's very unique in the United States. In the United States, we have this law that says, hey, man, if you use my intellectual property, my copyright without permission, we're going to create a system that allows a judge or a jury to determine how much money can be paid to the entity whose copyright was infringed upon. And we can determine at our discretion a fee between zero to up to $150,000 if this reaches the bar of willful infringement for each individual infringement. So example, George Carlin has 10 comedy routines on his album. All 10 are infringed upon. 10 times 150,000 is $1.5 million. Now, look at what got taken down out of Spotify. Let's say it's hundreds of albums that touch thousands of these works. Multiply 1,000, 2,000 by 150,000. Now you're looking at north of hundreds of millions of dollars and the liability gets significant. So to stem the liability and to try to stop the bleeding is you will typically take something down to stop the, the exploitation once you've been notified of it because you don't want to fall into that category of willful, which opens you up to be sued for potentially hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. Okay, so I understand the problem. Thanks. That was really well explained. Now, is that what Word Collections is there to do, your company? Is it there to represent comedians, spoken word performers, and writers in this way? Are you one of the licensees that Spotify would need to deal with? Yes. So the short version on that is, yes, Word Collections works for spoken word comedians. Our clients include the Robin Williams estate, George Carlin estate, Richard Pryor estate. We represent Margaret Cho, Louis Anderson, Andrew Dice Clay, Bill Engvall, Bill Hicks, Ron White, and many others. And we are a solution for both the comedian who controls the copyrights and a service like Spotify because we can provide them the necessary license that they need in order to stream the recordings. For music, there's things in place like ASCAP, BMI, PRS, GEMA, different organizations, but those are around music. There just isn't a lot in place for spoken word. Now, some countries do have organizations that simultaneously represent music and spoken word. I believe SASEM in France does. I believe GEMA in Germany does. This is like an alphabet soup. But for the most part, it is a glaring hole that exists. So yes, for spoken word comedy, we provide licensing to these entities and we collect the money back and put it into the pockets of the comedians. It doesn't matter how popular they are or aren't. It's the same concept. And we also do the same thing for songwriters. So we do the same thing for Metallica, right? They wrote their own songs. We make sure that their lyrics and melodies are properly licensed and being paid for with the digital services around the globe as well. And that's the gaping hole. There just wasn't anything there. So you formed in 2020, uh, Word Collection. So yes. your background was with your previous companies in understanding music rights licensing. So did you really just go, I can see an opportunity? So in many ways, has Spotify not done something wrong? They just didn't have anyone who was collecting on behalf of other people. So now that you exist, they now know that they have to pay you. Is that the solution or, or was there another thing that happened? No, they knew they were doing something wrong. 
uh, they could have picked up the phone and they could have called, for example, George Carlin. And they could have said, hey, we want to stream these recordings and we'd like to get a license from you. I suppose they're working on the school of forgiveness rather than permission. It it is absolutely the mantra that exists in the digital age, which usually has the groundbreaking uh, technology company or big media company wait till they get with their hand caught in the cookie jar and then upon getting caught deal with paying the parking ticket and try to negotiate that that down because it's disruptive to time to market getting things launched and frankly it's almost like a big oil company that'll go in and decimate an area to get that oil out of the ground and then get fined 10 years later for you know five billion dollars for the ecological damage they did but at the same time, they've already made $20 billion off of it. So it's decimation. Literally, infrastructures are being destroyed. It's like Mad Max. You turn around and look behind you, and you see a highway littered with broken cars and bodies. You catch them at that point. They have to pay a fee for the past damage they did, but it doesn't fix the past damage. And that's the way tech works these days, just the way you described it. Shoot first, aim second. So in in the example you gave, I mean, that there is a long pathway back of unpaid royalties. Do you believe that Spotify will pay back those royalties or will they just simply go, you know what, we've been caught with our hands in the cookie jar. We've removed it all from our library now. That's us. Mia culpa done. We're not paying back. We're not going to, going forward, use this content. That's not been my experience in dealing with entities like a Spotify. Typically what I find is they will first claim they've done nothing wrong. They typically might choose a strategy where they do not remove the content because by removing it, it implies that they've done something wrong. So they can't even do that. So I'm fascinated by the fact that they took these uh, recordings down. In my career, I was involved in the class action lawsuit against Spotify and these direct actions against Spotify for willful copyright infringement. And I didn't find a lot of mea culpa. I found a lot of fuck you. You know, we're going to make you work for it. And we'll probably outspend you and we'll find our legal loopholes or lobby. But ultimately, in the end, it sorted itself out. In this case, what I find fascinating is the albums were taken down. And you got to ask yourself why, based on my experiences. So you have a record label, that one record label that contacted Spotify. And it appears that it's their content that got taken down, which then opens up more questions in my mind. For example, how did those albums get onto Spotify? Did the record label sign its own deal with Spotify in order to distribute their recordings onto the music services shelf? And if it did, that means they signed a contract with Spotify. Is there a warrant and representation in that contract from the record label that says, hey, we're going to deal with getting the licenses and making the payments for this stuff or not? I honestly do not know. And if the record label did not put their stuff directly into Spotify, and they went through a middleman called a distributor, what was the agreement between the record label and the distributor? What did that say? And what is the agreement between the distributor and, let's say, Spotify? What did that say? So it's more nuanced. With word collection, I'm not a record label. I I work for the author. And it is my job to enforce the rules of the game, the copyright laws, and just contact places, go, hey, great, totally cool, you're using the stuff, just want to make sure you're licensed, and you're making the payments. And if you're not, we'll get you sorted out. And if you don't want to go down that path, then I guess we're going to have to find up with other ways to get you to be compliant with the law. And remember, nobody is forcing these entities to put George Carlin or Robin Williams or Richard Pryor's works up. They can choose not to do that. There's no gun at their head. So when they get these recordings and they see, oh, this stuff isn't licensed, you don't have to make it live. 
And there is an option there. Or alternatively, you can go get licensed and make the payments. Simply because Robin Williams says the words, reality, what a concept, as opposed to sings them, doesn't mean he should, doesn't have a copyright and shouldn't get licensed and paid. Okay, I understand that. I think that's fair. Now, Podland is all about podcasters, so let me try and swing it back slightly. Last week, we had Winslow Bright on. She was talking about licensing music for Paul Simon for a new podcast she's doing. And it took eight months for her to get the licenses. As a podcaster, the one question that James asked was, is there this thing called fair usage? And she seemed to inflect that, no, there isn't a thing called fair usage, really. It's just a, an internet meme that goes around. In your humble opinion, given all of your knowledge and background, if I wanted to use Robin Williams and I wanted to use just 30 seconds of Robin Williams going, good morning, Vietnam, could I have done that with fair usage in a podcast and didn't have to pay you or Robin Williams to stay? That is a great question. So there is such a thing as fair usage, and it's another section of the law, which is outdated. And it, it deals with the ability for an entity to use copyrighted material in a particular context. For example, if it's news or commentary or, or provides some form of education. The problem becomes, what is fair usage these days if literally anyone can upload something to YouTube or go to Libsyn to host a podcast and provide commentary or, or news or education around something, does that then qualify for fair use? And the answer is, I don't know. I think it's going to be on a case-by-case basis. It's almost like, when does something become music as opposed to spoken? What's the line, right? If I say your name, Sam, it's spoken word. If I go, Sam, is that music? No, probably not, because I can't sing. And (laughs) the same thing holds true, I think, with fair use. You get a lot of people uploading commentary to YouTube. Reaction video. Is that commentary? Is it education? If I reproduce a section of the new Beatles documentary by Peter Jackson, which is fascinating, by the way, and I'm discussing it in context of the music industry, is that a fair use of that piece of footage? And the same holds true with podcasting. So it is a, a, I don't want to call it the Wild West. It is an undefined arena that does have some boundaries, but those are blurred and gray and will also vary country country. For example, you have moral right throughout Europe. We don't have that concept here in the United States. So it's just another angle. But yeah, it's going to be a sticky wicket or what other appropriate metaphor you'd like to come up with to navigate through. Moral rights. I've never heard of those. Uh, Moral rights, again, this gets a little outside of my knowledge sector, but moral rights are something that do not exist in the United States that I understand do exist in the EU and the UK which allow a rights holder to object to the use of their copyrights, even if they don't control them all the way, because they find it, this is my words, morally offensive. So if the neo-Nazi party wanted to use my copyright in the United States, I don't have a way to stop them if they follow something called a compulsory license. Whereas in Europe and other parts of the world, you do have a way to stop them through moral rights. So you're saying, look, I, I don't agree with this morally. We, we can't do this. And I'm oversimplifying it because it's not my area of expertise. Okay. So now if I've got a podcast and I've put music into it and I upload it to Facebook's new podcast service that they've launched, uh, the Facebook police come down and instantly tell me that Warner Brothers have got claimed rights to it or Sony Music have claimed rights to it. If I did the same with, I use the example again of Robin Williams, 
and I put something of Robin Williams into my podcast, do you have an agreement with Facebook that will be able to auto-detect that in my podcast? The answer to that is more about the contract and relationship between Facebook and the entity that controls the uh, recordings to Robin Williams, right? Because remember, there's two different copyrights, there's two different licenses, and there's two different payments. The recording comes from the record label side. So the Warner Music Group, as an example, which doesn't represent any of the Robin Williams stuff, but let's just stick with the uh, Richard Pryor. So the Warner Music Group could sign a contract with Facebook or enter into some agreement that says, hey, Facebook, we're going to provide you copies of all of our recordings. And then you're going to have a little robot that's going to make an algorithm, a digital fingerprint of each recording. And then you're going to have your little robot listen to the audio and determine if there's a digital fingerprint match. And if that's what's going on, then it doesn't matter if it's Robin Wood, the sound of thunder or music. If the little robot finds a match, it's going to flag it, which is different than that second copyright, which is for the underlying words that were recorded. Now, what can happen is you can metaphorically staple right, the literary work to the recording. And then when the robot finds a match for the recording, it will by default also find it for the literary work. But that mechanism to attach the literary work to the sound recording doesn't yet exist within Facebook that I can find. There is no system. Now, YouTube offers a system like that to some degree where you can staple the literary work or the musical composition to the recording, and it, it can deal with rights administration. But something like Facebook maybe hasn't evolved or gotten to dealing with that yet. And they will be at some point, but uh, it, it wouldn't exist like that. I do know, for example, Apple and Spotify don't do any sort of algorithmic check on music within podcasts and clearly not within spoken word either. But YouTube, you say, does this. So clearly the technology is available. Clearly they can do it. So using your crystal ball looking forward, where will this all end up? Where do you think we're going to be when all the dust settles? That's a great question. The first thing it's important to point out that it's not Apple or Spotify to check when podcasts are using sound recordings. They're not, those aren't their sound recordings, right? It's the job of the record label or the copyright holder to find a way to deal with that. Now, it's difficult to do because there's no way to scale. You need technology, and typically technology isn't what music record labels are known for. You're not going to find the Warner Music Group making an iPhone any more than you're going to find Apple writing the song Hotel California. They just do different things. So typically, the technology companies will provide the solutions, or third-party technology companies like Audible Magic will step forward and provide solutions. So as much as I have my issues with some of the digital services, I do want to point out it is not their responsibility to police the world on behalf of a sound recording. The second part of your question was, yes, YouTube has created a very unique ecosystem where they did create a piece of technology. It's called Content ID. And entities that are in contracts with can provide them copies of the sound recordings. And then a YouTube robot will create a digital fingerprint and it will listen to the audio on every video uploaded to YouTube in the past, the present, or the future. And when it finds a match, it will do what the computer preferences were set to. It will either take the video down, do nothing, or monetize it. Those are the three 
different levels. And that ecosystem exists because back in the day, YouTube entered into a settlement with the National Music Publishing Association here in the United States. And part of the settlement over copyright infringement had to do with building a system to allow for the identification of music being used in videos that wasn't licensed. And for the Dolly Partons of the world, the lyric and melody, and providing a way to stick things together and, and find it. And it's a very unique ecosystem. It really doesn't exist uh, in other places. As far as the future, it's, uh, there's always going to be new ways and new things popping up. And copyright law has to be updated. It needs to take into consideration the impact of technology on copyright. Unfortunately, laws and, and changes in copyright law move very slowly. Technology moves very quickly. So things like TikTok and Twitch and Snap pop up and start using music in new ways. Pandora offers an interactive streaming service on top of its a radio service, which, which has weird nuances to it. I think there's always going to be a little bit of everything trying to catch up with everything else, because by the time you get to where things are today, they're already up to tomorrow. And there's going to be the new mess. We recently had a law passed in the United States called the Music Modernization Act, which was an attempt to modernize the copyright law. And in my opinion, tilted the scales too far to protect the digital music services at the expense of the creators. And now we're dealing with the fallout of that, which is over half a billion dollars in royalties that were generated and never paid, which could be taken from the copyright owners and handed to those that didn't earn it, basically stealing their money. So I, I think this will pers uh, persist and continue. There'll just be new problems after the old ones. Yes, thank you so much. It's a real mess, but thankfully you're getting your head around it and Word Collections is starting to help in that space. Yeah, so the very simple approach to this is if you want to use someone else's stuff, it's okay. Just get a license, pay a commensurate royalty, and the entity that earned the money should get paid the money. That's it. That's not a radical concept. The problem is many of the entities that want to use other people's stuff don't want to do that simply because it's a pain in the butt and they don't put in the infrastructure and that just isn't right. We can't have a healthy ecosystem unless the creators are being properly licensed and paid. If anyone wants to license something from you, where would they go, Jeff? Oh, just email word, uh, support at wordcollections.com. Or if you have copyrights and you'd like us to work for you, you could also reach us at wordcollections.com or support at wordcollections.com. Thank you, Jeff Price. You're welcome. Thank you for your time. Jeff Price from Word Collections, absolutely fascinating, um, you know, and and uh, I think, you know, for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about copyright and we've talked about the complications of copyrights here. Last week, of course, we dived into music licensing with Winslow Bright. Um, if you are interested in learning a little bit more about copyright on a broader scale, uh, then go hunt out a podcast called Insult My Intelligence with Tim Dowling. Tim is a uh, journalist. I think, for the Financial Times in the UK. Um, in the latest episode, he explains the confusing and messy state of copyright law. And uh, on that show, law professor Jennifer Jenkins and YouTuber Tom Scott, who's, doing, who's done a couple of very good videos on the subject as well. Uh, you can find Insult My Intelligence wherever you find your podcasts. Mm. Somehow I think Jeff's story and uh, Tim's 
podcast are just the tip of an iceberg that we're going to find out in the next few months. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure that we'll see a, a ton more people um, pointing at some of the content which is available on Spotify and other platforms and going, where's the money from that then? Yeah, when there's a billion dollars at stake, people suddenly come out of the woodwork. Now, moving on. Uh, you've got another exclusive, James. Now, uh, Slate Plus podcasts are now available on Spotify. I'm not a Slate Plus listener, I have to say, but they've integrated it into Spotify using Supporting Cast. So who are Slate and what's Slate Plus and who are Supporting Cast? Lots of questions for you there, James. Yeah, well, so Slate is a big publisher in the US um, and um, they publish a ton of great podcasts. Slate Plus is their paid-for podcast subscription where you can get early access to shows and ad-free listening and all of that kind of stuff and access to a ton more shows. And what they've done with Supporting Cast, which is a company that actually they own, uh, is they have ended up doing doing um, paid subscriptions, not just through Apple, but now through Spotify's open access platform as well. And it's interesting because their CEO, uh, Dan Check, told Pod News um, that, uh, you know, the, the challenges really are offering listeners an easy way to use their preferred podcast app. And uh, that's where Supporting Cast's integration with Spotify's open access platform comes in. Um, so um, Slate talking about um, getting to a greater share of their audience rather than just using Apple Podcasts. And at exactly the same time, Pushkin Industries, which again produces a ton of great podcasts, they have also done their own direct podcast subscription program. They again are using Supporting Cast and they again are also available in Spotify. Um, Jacob Weisberg, who's their CEO, um, says we want to make sure that the same experience that you get in Apple Podcasts is available to listeners on other platforms. I wonder whether both of these stories are actually these companies realising, hmm, Apple Podcasts isn't delivering quite as much revenue as we thought that they, that they were going to, and quite as much access as we thought that they were going to, we'd better make these shows available on other platforms, including Spotify as well. Yeah, it, it's that exclusively, let's put it in one place, it didn't work, let's go broader, which takes me back to that story with Network 10. I wonder whether going exclusive on platforms is the way forward, or is it just a way of having a, a one-week exclusive where you earn money quickly and then you go broad straight after? Yeah, and I think particularly if you're selling access to shows, you want to be on as many platforms as you possibly can be because you're selling access to the shows. You know, you're not earning a, a retainer from Apple or earning a retainer from uh, Spotify, and that's a different um, kettle of fish. But if you're just earning money from going out and selling things, then if you're not in the store, nobody can buy your product. Uh, and so that's what I think is uh, going on here. Question, does supporting cast add a fee on top of the 5% fee that Spotify will charge for subscriptions? So Spotify aren't charging for subscriptions at the moment. Um, the only thing that they um, pass on is the payment uh, fee. They will start charging 5% in the future. And um, I'm not quite sure how that works, to be honest. I think because it's only the open access platform, I think, therefore, Spotify would just give free access to that because it's just a standard OAuth 
um, access. Um, so I don't think that Spotify will take any uh, particular money out of that, and probably nor should they, because these shows will also be available to you if you want to pay for them in Pocket Casts and in Overcast and in uh, Google Podcasts and anything else that plays an RSS feed. Um, so I suspect that that's what's going to happen there. Um, but um, if you're selling directly through Spotify, through uh, Anchor's paid subscription thing, then yes, Spotify will take a bit of cash. Yeah. Okay. Well, those PR people at Spotify may not have come back to you about those shows that are missing, but they've certainly been busy giving you other press releases. Haven't they just? Because Spotify has released the 2021 Podcaster Wrapped, showing how your podcast did during this year, where your audience is and what your growth is. So how did you do, James? Well, so I um, looked at this in terms of um, the Pod News podcast, and it is very confused because... Pod News lists the last 50 shows in the RSS feed because I've published more than a 1,000 and I'm not listing all of those in one RSS feed. Thanks very much. Um, but what, of course, that means is that Spotify is now very confused and thinks that my podcast launched in August. And so it was congratulating me for launching in August, which is, um, yeah, slightly less than good. Um, I don't have access to Podland in my um, Spotify uh, for podcasters dashboard. Um, so I can't tell you anything about how Podland did and how uh, this particular show did. What I can tell you, for example, is um, uh, that my um, the little podcast that I do about uh, radio and the future of radio and all of that, that appears to have done, you know, very excitedly and Spotify have thrown tons of numbers at me uh, and said, you know, all kinds of um, all kinds of exciting things about my show. Um, but in terms of this particular one, can't really can't really tell you. I think you you might have access to that one, perhaps. <laughs> Can I not give you access? I don't. I don't think it works that way. I. I, I think it's just one, one Spotify uh, username and password, isn't it? Oh, they don't think so. Who knows? They don't think podcasts are co-hosted. Then, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, well, according to the uh, rap, Spotify listeners spent seventy-eight percent more time listening to podcasts than the year before, with the collective minutes listened on Spotify rising a solid. 23% from 2020 to 2021 uh, in the year of COVID lockdowns. Well, it's expected that people were listening more to podcasting, which is great. Uh, and people working from home spending longer time on their screens listening to podcasts. So, yeah, all in all, it sounds like uh, podcasting is on the rise. I think that's a summary of the wrapped report. Yeah, and I think also, you know, it, it, it's always an interesting thing looking at this data alongside Spotify's music stuff you know obviously um because some of this data will include music and some of it won't and similarly megaphone released a ton of their own uh, podcast consumption data and it was data that uh, is quite blurry because some of the data is talking about megaphone listening so podcast listening more than doubled in italy for example on megaphone podcast listening in car on Spotify increased by 28 times um, in 2021. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not necessarily quite as crystal clear as it might be. But, um, yeah, you know, a ton of people releasing this sort of uh, data. Um, there's been some data from some of the Indian podcast um, apps as well. Uh, and uh, I notice YouTube Music has given me a ton of um, data about the music that I listen to on that platform too. So, you know, 
a lot of this kind of stuff all all uh, going on at the end of the year now. The only thing I'd be really interested with Spotify is, in terms of as individuals, are we listening less to music and more to podcasts? as our overall attention time. Yeah, and the and the quick answer to that is, according to Edison Research, yes, them again, um, then yes, that's what they're finding, that people are listening less to music and more to uh, the, the spoken word. And of course, podcasts uh, actually includes that. Um, I promised you earlier a thunderstorm. I don't know whether you can hear the... Just open the, open the window there. There you go. Um, <laughs> There you go. Uh, that's a weather update. Go and get your washing out quickly, James. More weather, more weather in the next ten minutes. Um, so uh, yeah, so um, I, I think very much so. People are listening to more speech, which is a good thing in terms of podcasts. Okay. Now, at the end of last week's show, we were talking about the Australian Podcast Awards. You were one of the judges and the announcement was also being made. Uh, Matt Deegan runs those Australian Podcast Awards and the winners were announced. Uh, anyone exciting in the winners list? Yeah, um, yeah. so um, the Listener's Choice Award, which is the one that is um, that is voted by the listeners and they go along and, um, and uh, uh, you know, every single podcast talks about you should go and vote, vote for us. Um, that ended up going to Life Uncut with Brit and Laura, which is interesting because it's the second year in a row that that particular show has done quite well. Brit and Laura used to be on The Bachelor, which is a TV show here, um, and I believe in other countries as well. Um, and so that did uh, very well. But the um, podcast of the year voted by the judges went to Private Affairs, which is a romantic dramedy fiction podcast. I'm not quite sure what dramedy is. It's a good word, though, isn't it? Um, is it an Australian word that I don't know about? Possibly. Anyway, um, it's, uh, it's a fiction podcast inspired by true events, um, and uh, it uh, looks as if it may get a little bit saucy as well. Mm. Um, so interesting to see how that has uh, done uh, quite well there. Yeah, Matt Deegan said, Australia continues to lead the way when it comes to amazing podcast content that entertains, informs and even inspires. We've seen another incredible year of entries and the award winners represent the best of the best. We're thrilled to celebrate both in person and digitally this year. Congratulations to all the winners and nominees across 29 categories. And there was 89 other judges, James, apart from you. Yes, there were oh, 1,000 submissions, which is nice, and um, and uh, I'm a director of the company, um, but it's always nice to see 40,000 Australians voting in this year's Listener's Choice poll, supported by Listener, um, and you'll find all of the winners uh, in our show notes uh, as well. Indeed. The other event that took place this week was the Asia Podcast Festival. Uh, it was a virtual event based in Singapore, and guess what? You popped up again. Yes, I'll, I'll go to the opening of an envelope, me. Um, <laughs> yes, it was good fun, the Asia Podcast Festival. Um, I did a piece all about making your podcast a global hit, talking about the different places and different ways that you can um, uh, increase the... Um, the audience for your podcast in different countries. So it was good fun doing that. The event also included a podcast accelerator program, uh, which is nice to uh, see. And um, yeah, it's um, really interesting seeing just the growth of podcasting going on in uh, Asia at the moment. Um, so uh, good fun there. 
Now, a little bit of he said, she said. It seems that one week it's Spotify's the top dog and the next week it's Apple. <laughs> and this week it seems that Buzzsprout is saying that Apple's back in front. Woohoo! It's like the wacky races. Increasing its market share to 32.8% of identified, I don't know what that means, but identified downloads. The company got 48.5% of its downloads from the USA. So every week we have... Uh, one company or another <laughs> telling us that one of those two, Spotify or Apple, are, are in first place. And often I find what's more interesting is when we talk to somebody outside of the US or even outside of the English-speaking language, that you'll find that, say, in Germany, it's Spotify or Denmark, or in Italy, it's, it's again, mm. uh, another company, like maybe YouTube even. Um, I wonder if there would be ever a chance of creating a map which actually showed which country was the dominant player or which uh, I, company, um, yeah. I keep on asking uh, uh, podcast hosts, large podcast hosts, is there a chance of this data but broken out in terms of different countries? And um, I've actually got this data from one large podcast host, um, but I'm not allowed to do anything with it. So so the only thing I can tell you is that Castbox seems to do incredibly well in quite a few countries and I've got no idea why. Um but uh, yeah I would love to see that. The difficulty with all of this is is that um uh, the reason why I, I, I said in this story that Buzzsprout gets nearly half of its downloads from the US is that that's important because the US is one market and Apple Podcast leads the US market. Um, and so therefore, if half of your numbers are coming from the US, then, um, you know, then you will get a ton of Apple Podcasts uh, data in there. Um, whereas if you were to talk to the folks at Ivooks, for example, out of Spain, or if you were to talk to... Um, you know, a French podcast host or whatever it might be, they will have very different numbers because their shows will be um, predominantly in those countries. So it's going to be very difficult to get um, data around who really is number one in different countries um, from just one podcast host, unfortunately. But um, the reason why uh, the word identified is in there, since you asked, 32.8% of identified downloads for Apple Podcasts. That's because Buzzsprout, and they are our sponsor, but they get these numbers wrong because um, what they're doing is they um, have made a decision that anything that says Apple Core Media, they know is from an Apple device but might not be from Apple Podcasts, so therefore they ignore all of those. And so therefore they're not necessarily giving the full numbers to Apple Podcasts. Um, what Libsyn does, which is um, their main competitor, is they look at the Apple core media figures and they go, well, that's all Apple podcasts and that's wrong too. And that's why Libsyn has released something which I haven't bothered reporting on um, because it's more fundamentally incorrect that says that um, Apple has 60% of all downloads and Spotify has 18%. I mean, that's, uh, that's balmy um, and, you know, at least Buzzsprout is um, closer, I believe, to the real figures out there. Um, but yeah, it's it's never easy actually working out who number one is in terms of downloads. Who number one is in terms of people, 
um, we can pretty well categorically say it's Spotify. And there's some new data which came out yesterday from Signal Hill Insights, uh, which is a company which has done a bunch of work with Cumulus Media. And they once more have said that Spotify is number one for people who say that they listen to podcasts on on these individual apps. So for people, Spotify is now very clearly number one. For downloads, Apple Podcasts is most certainly still in front. Okay. Now, should we trust LibSing's advertising cast report then? Because they've said that the average CPM for a podcast dipped slightly in November to $23.25, but it's still up 5.3% year on year, which is a good number, I guess. But is it something that we can trust? Yeah, and that's definitely something we can trust because that's cost per thousand based on the amount of total downloads, regardless of where they are. And advertised cast is actually a separate part of Libsyn and, you know, has very different uh, tech. It's really helpful that they release this data every single month. Um, it's all completely automatic data it comes from their platform and really shows, you know, what they are selling podcast ads for and indeed what people are buying podcast ads for through that particular platform. Uh, and so, you know, a really helpful figure. $23.25 is considerably more in terms of cost per thousand than radio is, is uh, charging. So, you know, just worthwhile bearing that in mind too. Okay. Now, moving the stories along, um, I'm going to talk about schizophrenia schizophrenic alphabet uh yeah that is a term um because <laughs> i'm going to talk about youtube and podcasting which totally confuses me because uh, there is google podcasting but it seems this week uh, the ceo of youtube has said she's excited about podcasts uh, and in an interview she said it's a good opportunity for people who are producing podcasting to generate revenue and have more distribution. And I know that's what you have said in the past. Look, if it's simple and easy to do, stick your podcast up onto YouTube as well. But boy, why are Google or Alphabet having two podcasting platforms? Well, I wonder, um, but I guess at the end of it, it probably doesn't matter too much. Google Podcasts is there as uh, as an element of um, Google search. Um, and sits there and uh, surfaces uh, podcasts within uh, Google's uh, infrastructure. But actually, if it just linked to something that was called YouTube Podcasts, it wouldn't necessarily matter too much either. So Susan Wojcicki, who is the CEO of uh, YouTube, she's um, you know saying very little at the moment about where podcasts are going on that platform. Now, I heard I was out uh, in the car earlier on today buying a microwave. Uh, and um, in case you're wondering, um, and uh, and some dishwasher salt, which is very difficult to get in this city. Um, but uh, I was uh, listening to the new media show with, Insight uh, to James's <laughs> life. Um, I was listening to uh, the new media show with uh, Todd and Rob, and uh, Todd was saying in the usual way that Todd does of I've heard something and I I can't mention anything. I can't mention anything, but but, but let me mention some of it. Um, and uh, he was very very good and talking about um, the fact that he has heard from someone that YouTube will be a podcast host so we'll host your podcasts and we'll give people RSS feeds as well so there'll be a proper podcast host you'll be able to host audio on there as well as video 
Um, and uh, wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, that would certainly put the cat amongst the pigeons. So, um, yeah, it, interesting to see, you know, what happens there. If that's true, and if, um, you know, if Todd's source is, uh, you know, is, is, uh, knows what they're talking about, then that would certainly change how the podcast industry works. Well, Matt Deegan, when I spoke to him last week, was also bullish on podcasting and YouTube and said that 2022 will be a big year for YouTube. So maybe he's heard the same story. Well, you were, you were saying that you have a prediction in terms of, in terms of an alphabet? <clears throat> yeah, well, it is that time of year, isn't it? Oh, the prediction time. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I actually think that YouTube will become a standalone company. I think uh, we are seeing with the Democratic Party... Uh, a tech clash and it only is going to get worse i suspect that a lot of the big uh, u.s companies are going to be under pressure and one way to stop that is to to get ahead of the story um, and that may be i suspect youtube going as a standalone company it would create great shareholder value and i think also the problem is people like susan haven't got anywhere to go with the company she's reached the top it was a bit like Sunja Pichai, you know, they gave him Google and then they gave him Alphabet. Uh, and it is just, you know, she's an amazing CEO. They'll lose her if they don't give her another step up. Uh, and that step up may be that uh, YouTube becomes a standalone company and competes with Google on search as well as all the other aspects. Well, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? That would be really interesting. So, uh, yeah, let's see if that happens. Let's see if Y goes out of alphabet uh, in the future. Why not? I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, around 425,000 new episodes were published on Anchor in November. That sounds pretty impressive. But the company lost 0.7% market share. So why is that, James? Don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I really don't know. Um, but uh, interesting, this is data from John Spurlock. So what John does is he uses the podcast index, pulls in literally every new episode that has been published in a particular month, follows all of the redirects to find out who the actual host of all of these uh, episodes is. So it's a really good way to work out who the number one podcast host is. It's still Anchor. But um, in the top 10, what's nice for me, because I'm an advisor for uh, Captivate, which is one of the podcast hosts, is that Captivate made the top 10. It's new at number nine. It actually beat Megaphone, which uh, is a tremendous thing. So I hope that they're drinking, um, uh, I was going to say drinking champagne, but they're in Yorkshire. So uh, don't mention parties, James. You're not allowed to in the UK. (laughs) Yes, we're not going to mention any parties. No, parties are allowed now. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I hope that they're enjoying a good pint of, um, I don't know, Sheffield, uh, oh, Callum Island Pale or something like that um, uh, at uh, Captivate Towers. Um, so, yeah, really good uh, data um, uh, that John Spurlock puts together, both in terms of that, but also in terms of, you know, who is... Um, who's monitoring podcasts in terms of Chartable or PodTrack or all of that kind of stuff. Chartable's number one, I think 4.3% from memory of all podcasts being measured by uh, Chartable, which is a great thing. So so well done, Dave, uh, in terms of that. And, you know, and a bunch of other stuff um, uh, going on as well. And he pulls that um, 
data out, it's always fascinating to end up seeing. Um, and talking about uh, Captivate, lots of um, uh, work going on there. Um, they've announced an integration with Orphonic, which um, is much the same as Buzzsprout's Magic Mastering in that it adds noise reduction, or rather it um, it doesn't add noise reduction. It um, you, 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 if you see what I mean. Anyway, uh, it also fixes audio levels as well. So uh, it's, a, it's a good thing. So they've done that. And of course, they've also put Amy Live, which is their, um, their dynamic audio insertion as well. Uh, but uh, quite enough talking about that. Buzzsprout's also very good. Buzzsprout.com. Well, it's that time, James, your favourite time of the week. It's time for Boostergram Corner. Booster, Booster, Boostergram. Boostergram. Boostergram Corner. You can't get more top 40 than that. It is. It's time for Boostergram Corner. Now, we've got two Boostergrams. Uh, before we go diving into them, I'm very excited in that I have the new um, weird and wonderful helipad thing, which means that I can actually see boosts coming in directly to my node, uh, which is very exciting, although I'm very confused by it because... Um, they're supposed to be coming in to me now and not through another service that I use, but that other service that I use is still getting a load of boosts. So who knows what's going on there? But anyway, uh, yes, we got some uh, very nice uh, boosts. Um, one from Oscar Merry. Yeah, well, thanks, Oscar. He was asking about uh, my dog, and he was wishing her, uh, will I get well? Yeah, she's doing great. Um, so after the second operation, she is fine. Uh, she's uh, walking. Uh, we're allowed to take her out for five minutes every day. And uh, yeah, it may be a long journey, but she'll be fine. Thank you very much for asking, Mary. Uh, ask Mary. And uh, he kindly sent us 111 sats using fountain. Yes, 1111, in fact, sats using fountain. So, uh, Oscar, thank you very much for that. In case you missed last week, Sam's dog had an argument with a car. Um, I know. I'm lost. Um, and also, thank you so much to Dave Jones, who sent us a big rush boost to 1112 Sats. And he says, happy show birthday and great Franco interview. I would like to encourage Spotify to keep spending money as fast as possible. They're very proud about it, and I wholeheartedly encourage them to continue. More foot on the gas, please. I'm not quite sure what he's getting out there. But Dave, thank you so much uh, for that. I really appreciate it. And if you would like to send us a boost, uh, then you can do. Uh, just hold down that boost button in your podcast app. What's that you say? You don't have a boost button in your podcast app? Well, you need to get a better one at podnews.net slash new podcast apps. Now, you've been a busy boy this week. Uh, you've been helping Brian Barletta launch a new podcast. What's that one about? Yeah, so he's got a thing called Podscape, which he put together with Magellan AI a couple of years ago. And I say a couple of years ago, it can't have been because he's only been going for a year. But anyway, um, uh, a number of months ago, um, which is a full sort of helicopter view of all of the companies in the podcast industry and the podcast landscape. Um, hence Podscape, I guess. And he has turned that whole um, uh, thing into a podcast. So if you go and subscribe to that podcast, then you will find, um, in the end of it, thousands of different episodes from individual companies basically saying what they do. 
and why you should use them rather than anybody else. So whether that's a podcast host, whether that's um, a newsletter like uh, Pod News, which is in there, um, whatever it might be, you'll find um, a bunch of really useful information about individual podcasts in there. What you'll also find in there is a podcast from me, which is all about the history of podcasting. The word, not the actual thing. Uh, But the history of podcasting uh, is there, and it's one of the um, individual shows that you can get there if you'd like to learn more about that soundsprofitable.com is where to find out more and i just thought you were my co-host but now you're going everywhere you're just going everywhere aren't you oh well (laughs) james so what else has happened for you in podland this week well what else has happened to me i was on a podcast this morning when i had a voice um not quite sure why i don't have a voice now but still there we are um and uh, very much enjoy that. I was um, uh, because uh, there's quite a lot of work being done in this uh, house, and there are people demolishing things. Uh, I ended up having to be um, in my car in a car park, uh, underground car park. I found an underground car park which is nice and quiet, which is also uh, not too hot because being hot, in, uh, you know, being stopped in the sun is not a clever plan, uh, and it's also directly under a five G. Um, uh, mast, so uh, I get great coverage in there as well. Uh, so that was particularly good. Um, that's on a uh, podcast called The San Francisco Experience, which you can get right now in your podcast app. So I enjoyed uh, doing that. What's happening for you this week on Podland, Sam? Well, I was also a guest on another podcast as well. I was on Heather Osgood's podcast. Mm, yeah, I know. <laughs> Finally, somebody actually thought, hmm, maybe we'll ask <laughs> Sam. Um, uh, I enjoyed that. I had to do it from a Manchester hotel room, so that's a bit odd. But uh, thank you, Heather, for inviting me. And we were just talking about what might happen in 2022. And of course, I made a few predictions about our good friends at Netflix, our friends at YouTube, and also made the prediction that I think Amazon will jettison Amazon Web Services as well. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Why were you in Manchester then, Sam? Uh, another meeting. <laughs> I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of these days. One of these days, he'll tell us. One yeah. of these days. <laughs> um, so, yes. And you're, and you're still um, working on um, actually getting your radio station onto a transmitter, aren't you? Yeah, I'm really pleased this week. We actually signed contracts for our DAB licence. So, uh, yeah, I was chuffed. So that's all been signed. I am now officially broke. Um, and But to help me, we did raise another 100000 so that was good news as well. So, uh, yeah, we are ready for liftoff in January. Excellent. Well, many congratulations. Uh, and that's it for this week. Thank you to Jeff Price for being our excellent guest. Please follow Podland in your podcast app and on Twitter at Podland News. You'll find all our previous shows on the web at www.podland.com podland.news if you want daily news you should get pod news the newsletter is free at podnews.net the podcast which i record every single day and so you'll work out whether or not my uh, voice gets even worse tomorrow uh, can be found in your podcast app and all of the stories we've discussed on podland today are in the show notes our music is from ignite jingles and we're hosted and sponsored by our good friends at buzzsprout keep listening keep listening